chapter 16, as we finish the chapter today, verses 19 through 31, we'll read it together, then we're going to turn over to Job, and then we'll come back in Luke. Luke chapter 16, pick it up in verse 19, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, and he sat at his gate, the rich man's gate, desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. And so it was when the beggar died that he was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. But the rich man being tormented, verse 23, in Hades, lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And then he cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in the flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and you are tormented. And beside all of this, between us, there is a great gulf fixed, so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. And then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, and that he might testify to them, lest they also come to this place and be tormented. And Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. And he said unto them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one be raised from the dead. Let's pray again. Lord, we just ask that you would do your will today, that our hearts would draw close to you, Lord. We thank you for your word that speaks truth. In a world, and often, Lord, even inside the church, that, that doesn't want to talk about these subjects. But we thank you in advance, and we thank you for what you're going to do in our hearts and minds today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's turn over to Job chapter 14. He's in the Old Testament, Job chapter 14. We will pick it up in verse 10. And the reason why we're going to Job this morning is to set the foundation of what we're going to hear from Jesus. Because what Job is about to communicate to us is that which everyone on planet earth asks at some point in their life. And if you don't know this, Job is the oldest book, not only in the Bible, but in recorded man's history. Aside from Genesis 1 to 10, that section of Scripture is older than Job, but Job is the actually the oldest recorded book that man has. So think about that. 
This is the oldest book, and yet he says that which everyone asks. What is the question? Verse 14, but man dies. I don't know if you figured this out yet, but 10 out of 10 people die. Everybody is going, I, I, I hope that this is going to be perky today. Uh, we're talking about hell, so that's perky. We're talking about eternity, but we're talking about death, actual death. And the world in which we live in, God is allowing this virus to go through uh, so that man has another wake-up call. It is where you're going to spend eternity. That's why people are so afraid today. They are terrified. But as for me and you that are followers of Christ, perfect love casts out fear. Jesus is the perfect love. So I put my reliance and hope in him. Therefore, and I don't mean to say it this way, but virus smirish. Amen? I can die in a car wreck. Are we going to eliminate cars? We're not going to eliminate cars. Do you know how many doctors kill people every year? We don't even want to get it in. And we love doctors, but I'm thinking about banning them. We don't do that either, do we? Because we have a built-in risk assessment, don't we? And we look at life and we say, life is worth living, not hiding in your basement or not cowering. We're going to live it. But the reality of living life is knowing that you're going to die. Woo! <laughs> That's the perky today. But we'll see Jesus gives us a way out. And I love this section of scripture that we're going to dive into is that Jesus, I don't know if you've actually looked at this, but Jesus talked about two topics more than anything else. Hell and money. Is there a parallel? Could be. But let's go back to Job verse 10. He says, but man dies and is laid away. Indeed, he breathes his last. Here's the question. And where is he? Where does he go? Jump down to verse 14. If a man dies, shall he live again? You see, in the Old Testament, it was kind of fuzzy. <laughs> and we're going to talk about Sheol and what they, they taught in the Old Testament, and then we come into the New Testament. But it, they really didn't have an idea. And Job says, okay, well, man dies. I get, I get that. But where is he going? And when he dies, is he going to live again? Is there eternity? Is there life after death? The actual question that everybody asks themselves on planet Earth. Amen? Turn back to Luke. That sets the stage for our scripture today. And so we have all red letters. This is Jesus speaking Jesus is going to tell us now about this topic of eternity, about the choices that we have in eternity. Everybody has a choice in eternity. Now, there was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. So, this occasion that Jesus uses to communicate eternity, I want you to note with me, is not a parable. It is an actual account that happened. And I know that because in the other parables, Jesus never uses anybody's name. So we know this is real. You might say, well, how does Jesus know that? If you ask that, here's the, he's God. So he knows. 
and I love this account. It's not a story. It's real. And Jesus tells us what really happens to people when they die. Two people, Lazarus and the rich man. And by the way, right out of the gate, this doesn't mean that all rich people go to hell. You might want to think that or believe that, but that's not the case because Abraham was wealthier than anyone else, David. And yet we're going to go to Abraham's bosom, what Jesus will later on call paradise. So we have this different place, two different men, and it starts with the rich man. Please note with me that he was clothed in purple. Purple was the rarest color in the days of Jesus, the rarest color of all time was purple. He was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuous. He had no care in the world, lived his life. He didn't worry about for want. He could go anywhere, do anything, eat anything, wear anything, get a new chariot if he wanted to. And yet, what's the contrast? It's verse 20. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus. Now, this is not the Lazarus of Mary and Martha. Everybody got that? This is a totally different Lazarus. Notice with me that he was full of sores and he was laid at his gate and desiring to be fed with crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. I want to make mention of something that I didn't in first service, and this is, this is the beauty of second service, is you get to have the benefit of me going, oh, I didn't say that, I didn't say that, I didn't say that, and it becomes a longer service, so... There you go. And I want to make this mention is that we often think or it's taught even inside the church that you, as a follower of Christ, everything's going to be fine with you. You're not going to have sores. You're not going to have problems. You're not going to be a beggar. You're not going to have financial problems. And yet that doesn't equal this person standing later on in eternity. God allows certain things to happen in our life today. And I've said this before. I think for the most part, God knows, well, not for the most part, he knows exactly what you can handle financially. And you think, you know, I like to handle a little bit more. And he goes, no, because then you won't pray, give me this day my daily bread. He knows exactly what you can handle. That's what he gives you. And every once in a while, you ever find this happen? Some check comes in the mail, and you're like, oh. Where did that come from? God's testing you. What am I going to do with that? Well, with the, the beggar, the Lazarus, please don't look at his life as, man, this guy is just, he's got the sword, the dogs are looking at him, he's got, he just wants to eat the crumbs. Somehow he's not right with God, and yet he is the guy that's sitting next to Abraham. So sometimes God allows things in our life that we don't understand now, but it really doesn't matter in a minute because it's all gone, and he won't have any sores. And by the way, he's eating quite well with Abraham. Well, it says he was desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell. You have kids, and you're like, we don't need silverware. But we have silverware, right, and we have napkins. Back then, they didn't do that. They had a table, moms, and all the kids would dip into the sauces and the meat and rip it off, and you're like, hey, sanitizer wash up before. 
But when they were done, they didn't have a napkin. They would take a piece of bread and they would wipe their hands on the bread and they would throw it to the dogs. Well, and Lazarus is like, I just want that. You see, his life before heaven wasn't very glorious at all. The rich man was. You see, the rich man had it really well. Guys, this is, as a follower of Christ, the worst it'll ever be. But for the unsaved, this is the best it will ever be, as we will see in a minute. And so the beggar died, Lazarus died, and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. Now what's interesting is we have the rich man buried, but we don't have Lazarus buried. So Lazarus being poor would have been thrown into the dump. And the dump in Jesus' day was the Valley of Hinnom. It was right outside of the gates. It's where the garbage burned day and night, where the worm dieth not. So when Jesus gives us these examples of hell, everybody who lived at this time knows exactly what he is saying. Oh, yeah, that's the, that's the dump. Can you imagine throwing a human being in the dump? But that's what they did. And yet on the other side, we have the rich man who has this elaborate funeral with the wailers and the mourners and their professionals. Guys, do you see in a minute that it really doesn't matter how good your coffin is because everybody ends up at the same place? Save your kids some money. My wife and I have determined that we're going to burn each other up. Done quick out of it, right? Let, let the furnace do what the earth would do in 30 minutes. Save your kids some money. You see, God is able to put everything back together, so it really doesn't matter. And you're like, I can't do that. i got to be buried in a coffin. All right, just don't go big. Because everybody ends up in the same place. And the same place is eternity. And it depends, as we will see in a minute, where you end up in eternity. But death is the great equalizer. It doesn't matter what you had before. When you get there, it is what, here it is, the choice that you make before you die. And notice with me in verse 23, and now we start this topic today. This is the, this is the rich man. And being tormented in Hades, he lifted up his eyes, and he saw Abraham, notice, afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. Notice with me, it says that he is being tormented in Hades. Jesus, as we will see here in a minute, describes Hades or called Sheol in the Old Testament. It was the common place of the dead. Hades is not the lake of fire that we usually think of hell. So I titled this message, I don't usually title this message, but Hades is no hell. Hades is no hell. As we will see, it's a temporary holding cell. I was telling first service, you know, it's like like a bus stop. You know, you're going to that destination, but you have to do this, or an airplane, you have to make a connecting flight. Well, Hades is the connecting flight. Or if you want to get in the prison motif, you could say that Hades is the J. Reuben Long, and hell 
is in Columbia at the state penitentiary. It's just a stopover. Now, inside of Sheol, which was the Old Testament, there were two compartments. And it doesn't say that they were necessarily together or side by side because it says that the, that the rich man looks to Abraham afar off and up. So Hades is not hell. Hades is the waiting place. Now I'm going to read a ton of scripture to you today. We're going to go to a couple of them together. But it is referred to in Revelation 20 verse 15 this way. And if anyone is not written in the book of life, he was cast into the lake of fire. That's hell. That's the future coming up. And in Revelation 20 verse 11 through 13 says this. Then I saw a great white throne and he who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heavens fled away, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, both small and great, standing before God. And the books were open, the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books. And the sea gave up their dead, notice, who were all in it, and death and Hades delivered up their, ju- uh, their um, dead to be judged, each one according to his work. So, if you're confused already, great. Let me help you out. So, we've got Hades, Sheol. We've got two compartments. We've got Abraham's bosom, which Jesus calls paradise, that later on he goes and he preaches there and he takes those captive. And then Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. So as a, after the cross, it changes. Before the cross, it's this holding cell of Abraham's bosom. It's a place of comfort and of peace. And then the other side is Hades. And Hades, as we will see, is not a place of partying. It's not a place where you're going to woohoo with your friends. It's a place of darkness and it's tormented. And think about this. If the holding cell is a place of torment, What's hell going to be like? (laughs) Well, it's no COVID 2020, but let's see what hell and Hades are like. Notice with me, he says he's tormented, and people have a real problem with this word tormented. But let me read to you what the Bible says. Matthew 25, verse 41 says, Then he will also say to those on my left hand, Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. So I hear this, maybe you hear this too. Well, if there was a loving God, why would he send anybody to hell? Anybody else get that? Okay. So what did Jesus just say? Hell was created for who? The devil and his angels. It was never created for man. So God doesn't send anybody to hell, they send themselves. Well, that's not loving. Well, I actually think it's really loving that he gave us uh, plan A or B. He could just say, the heck with everybody, (laughs) you're all going to B. But he does it. He sends his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gives man an option. He doesn't have to. A loving God does that. And so he says, he wants everyone to know, no, hell was created for the devil and his angels. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. 
2 Peter chapter 2. Pick it up in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains and darkness to be reserved by judgment, and if he did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah and eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemning them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by filthy conduct of the wicked. For that righteous man, dwelling among them, tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust under the punishment for the day of judgment. Turn back now to Luke. In Matthew chapter 25, verse 46, it says, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. 2 Thessalonians 1.9 says, These shall be punished with an everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. We were in Thessalonians a while ago, and I I made mention that this is one of the best definitions of what hell is like. And what hell is like is being separated from God. We're going to see in a minute that people know where they are, they're conscious of where they are, they know other people, they know their condition, and we're going to see they have a memory of their life before. We're going to see it's different for us. But they have a memory of that. They know that they chose not God, the things of the Lord. But they are separated from a holy God. Can you imagine what eternity will look like knowing that you can possibly see glory, goodness, and peace and love and know that you will never get there because you were a bonehead on planet Earth? You know, we think of the hot and the worm that dieth not and all of these like raggedy clothes and that's all hell. No, hell's really you were an idiot on planet Earth and now you know that for eternity. Isn't that harsh? Like it'll never go away. You'll you'll be able to see that. Let's continue. Matthew 13, verse 49, and so it will be at the end of the age, and the angels will come forth separating the wicked from among the just, telling us that they are two, there are two locations. Matthew 13, 50, and cast them into the furnace of fire where there will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Mark 9, 43, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, for it's better for you to enter into life maim rather than having two hands than to go into hell, into fire that shall never be quenched. He continues by saying, where the worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. But I want to leave you with Proverbs 15, verse 24. The way of life winds upward for the wise, that he may turn away 
from hell below. Did you hear that? The wise are the ones that turn their eyes towards God. And the fools turn their eyes towards hell below. So back to Luke chapter 16, verse 23, it says, And being in torment, he lifted up his eyes. So he knows where he is, and he can see Father Abraham. I mean, did Father Abraham have like a name badge? I am Father Abraham. No, he knew that. He knew. But what's interesting to me is that Lazarus doesn't know what's happening with the rich man. The rich man knows what's going on over there, but those in Abraham's bosom or paradise don't know what's going on in hell. Why is that good news? Because you're going to have family members. You're going to have friends that you know that do not choose God. And think about this. Would heaven be heaven if you knew where they were? God is going to somehow, wonderfully, when we're changed, remove the memory from us of our family and friends that did not accept Jesus Christ. Because heaven wouldn't be heaven if we knew what was going on in hell. Lazarus doesn't know what's going on over there. The rich man does. Isn't that powerful? Isn't that good news? That where we're going, that's why at funerals when people say Uncle Bob's looking down on us from heaven, no, he's not. Because heaven wouldn't be heaven if Uncle Bob did that. And I don't want to go anywhere that my eyes are not going to be on the king. Where were me here in verse 24? He cried out and he said, Father Abraham, have mercy. Oh, now he's interested in spiritual things. It's too late. We'll see. There are no second chances. When you breathe your last, as we will see, look at verse 26. We'll get to it in a minute. It's fixed, and not the fix is in, but fixed, it can't be moved. And so he cries out, and he says, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. So he knows where he is. He feels where he is. He can see where he is. He knows who Father Abraham is, and as we'll see in a minute, he has a memory of where he was. We don't see that with Lazarus, but we see it with the rich man. And so, wow, let's see what Father Abraham says. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. And now he is comforted, and you are tormented. Notice that, son, remember. What a terrible thing memory will be for the unsaved to remember throughout all eternity, every sin committed, all of your unrepentance, that it wasn't forgiven, that you had an opportunity to get right. You know what's going to be hell? Seeing me in your memory that you had an opportunity. You came to Calvary Chapel. Maybe it was Christmas or Easter. Maybe you thought, well, I'll just check in with God. But you heard the gospel message, and then you rejected that. How many times did you listen to a radio program, a TV program, an evangelist, and rejected that? The memory of that. Abraham says, remember. 
What hell is, is knowing that I rejected love and rejected I. God isn't sending anyone to hell. It is my fault if I do not stand in the presence of Jesus Christ. It's my fault. It's your fault. Abraham's words show that one might have everything on planet earth, all that your hearts desire, but you have nothing in eternity. You see, this is the fallacy. We keep talking about live it up on planet earth. And Jesus says, no, don't live it up. Send it ahead. That's what last week's message was about. One might seem to have nothing on earth like Lazarus, and yet he has everything the moment he closes his eyes and wakes up and boom, now he's in eternity. So listen, the devil wants you a couple of things, especially with young people. His message to young people is you got all the time in the world. You don't have all the time in the world. People die every single day. Every single second, people are dying and walking into eternity without Jesus. You don't have all the time in the world, and especially the world in which we live in. Who knows what's going to happen tomorrow or November 5th? Amen? I don't know what's going on with this crazy world that's happening. All I know is that Jesus today gives you, gives me the opportunity to be with him in paradise. He said to the thief, today you'll be with me in paradise. Isn't that good news? Paul says to be absent in the body is to be present with the Lord. That's a lot, isn't it? Not done. So think about that. He says, remember, and then he says, tormented. So the remembering and the tormented go hand in hand in hell. And then he says, and beside all of that, like that doesn't even matter. I'll tell you what really matters, rich man, is that beside all this, there is a great gulf fixed. I would love you to circle or highlight that word fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those pass um, from there to us. So this verse, and I really wish people would just read the Bible, amen? Wouldn't life be a lot simpler inside of a lot of churches around the world, especially with the Roman Catholic Church who teaches purgatory? What did this just say? You can't go from there to here, and we can't go from there to there. It's fixed. When you die, there is no do-overs. There is no praying you out. You can't work it off. It's fixed. So you better know where you're going to go. Do you see how damning a doctrine purgatory is? You can live however you want. Just work it off later. No, you better get right with Jesus now. Because that's what this, not parable, not story, historically accurate view of paradise looks like. It's fixed, which means what we do today how we live our life today, what we send ahead, it really does matter. And again, the world in which we live in, today is the day of salvation. By the way, it also tells us that there is no such thing as soul sleep. That's 
Some people inside of the church believe that, and if you don't know what that means, it means that when you die, they and this, this isn't something new. This is as old as the church, and I put that in quotes, is that when you died, you just went to sleep. And then at the end, I mean the end end, you were raised and then you were judged. Well, that, that's nowhere here. We see they're both aware of what's going on. Do you see that? There is no such thing as soul sleep or annihilation theory that people teach, that when you die, that you just, there's nothing after that. Seventh-day Adventists believe that. Other people inside of the church have gone to that wing. I don't know. We have really just, inside of the church, gone some really crazy doctrine lately. Got a guy that is a pastor that teaches there is no hell. I'm pretty sure I just told you guys a whole bunch of verses about what? Not an allegory, Rob Bell. It's heretical teaching, and it's got no place in the church. Just like purgatory has got no place inside of the church. It's not biblical. In fact, purgatory is pagan. It was brought into the Roman Catholic Church. Huh? Oy vey. I will try not to get worked up, because when we get to Revelation and we do the seven letters to the seven churches, that is church history, and we're going to go through how, of, how these things came into, again, the church, how these doctrines filtered in, and how Jesus says, I can't stand the deeds of the Nicolaitans, those who would lord over the people. But that's not here. We, <laughs> woo, we ain't got that kind of time. So please note with me in verse 26, it's fixed. Salvation comes by hearing the word of God. He's going to tell us that in a minute. And it comes by Jesus. Not by what I do, not by my works, but by God and what he did on the cross. All I have to do is accept it. Not believe in a religion or a set of man. No, no, no. I just believe in Jesus. And then he said in verse 27, listen, this is pretty good. You, you know you got chutzpah when you're arguing, arguing, that's good. <laughs> what is that? <laughs> well, you're in hell, you're arguing. Uh, when you argue with Father Abraham, like the father of the Jewish nation, and you're doing it in hell, that's chutzpah. <laughs> he says, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. That's not Lazarus. Send Lazarus to my father's house. For I have five brothers, and that he might testify to them, lest they come to this place of torment. What I find interesting is that people in Hades have a concern for the lost, but they can't do anything about it. And again, it goes back to the memory. He knows he has five brothers who will come to hell with him if something doesn't change in their life. How about that for some help? Or that you had a hand, God forbid you had a hand in putting that person or helping that person find the road to hell. What would that memory be like? Well, it's perky. We'll end with perky. But you know what, guys? The church rarely talks about this topic anymore. They want to steer clear of it because it's not seeker-friendly, and people don't want to talk about hell. You better tell people about hell. Jesus talked about it a lot. 
And he said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, hell. But there is a narrow way and few that find it. That leads to eternal life. Well, here's the response of Abraham. He says, go to the Bible. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear from them. They have a Bible. Think about how many Bibles we have on planet Earth. How many do you have in your home? A ton of them. Five, six on the shelf. You had them. I had a friend I knew that uh, this is a great um, story of how he came to know Jesus. Him and his wife. His wife was a psychologist. They were just had a terrible uh, marriage going on, and life was just beating them up. And he didn't believe in God at all. And uh, he he remembered that someone had given him a Bible. And he goes where most people have their Bibles that are not believers in the garage. Finds the box, pulls the Bible out sits on the floor in the garage, opens up to Matthew, starts from Matthew chapter 1. By the time he ends in Matthew, he is saved. You see, Jesus tells us all they have to do is hear the word of God. It won't return void. Somebody that has a heart that is softened to the things of God will come to God, yes, even through teachings in Chronicles or Deuteronomy or Leviticus. People can come to a saving knowledge of Christ through the Old Testament. And so, Father Abraham says, hey, they have Mo and the prophets. And he said to them, (laughs) again, here is the arguing going back and forth. And the reason why I love this is because Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He could witness it from the position that he is as God. Wouldn't you like to see that? Like, (laughs) Gabriel, you're not going to believe this, but there's a guy in hell arguing with Abraham. Put it on the jumble screen. (laughs) You got to see this. He says, no, Father, but if one goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. His argument was, Father, if Lazarus comes out of the tomb, surely my brothers and everyone else will come to a saving knowledge of Jesus, right? Well, in a couple of weeks, we're going to talk about another guy named Lazarus who will actually come out of the tomb. He's bundled all up. He's got the things around him. And then Jesus says, loose him. Hurry. because Four days, he's in the ground, in the tomb. By the way, by the fourth day, we'll get into this, your brain is liquid. I know you're going to lunch. Sorry. (laughs) But you ever wondered why Jesus waited two days? He wanted it to be the maximum amount of time where everyone at that time, no one's ever come out of the grave after four days, like ever. In fact, it said, he stinketh. (laughs) That's how long the dude's been in the ground. Yet he comes out, and what does it say next? The religious leaders wanted to kill him. They wanted to put him, to, I mean, how fair, fair or unfair is that? Like, I just came out and you want to re-kill me. So that disproves, oh, now you get it. That disproves this section of scripture, doesn't it? Because the religious leader says, no, no, no. If someone just comes out of the tomb, everyone's going to believe and repent. And yet Lazarus did. They didn't. They wanted to kill him. But the ultimate man that came out of the tomb 
on our behalf and given us life and that more abundantly. And people say, nah, I don't believe it. He just passed out on the cross. When he was in that tomb, the dampness of the tomb woke him up and he just pushed that 2,000-pound rock himself out of the way and walked right out. That's their argument. These are professionals that have that argument. And they call us the wackos. Lastly, verse 31, but he said to them, this is Abraham, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded the one rise from the dead. It, 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 Abraham is trying to tell this guy, it doesn't matter. There is proofs all over the world. Paul the Apostle says in Romans 1 that our bodies are an example of creation. The world is an example of creation and people reject it all the time and they think that this is just a big cosmic mistake or by happenstance that things blew out of proportion and came back together and made your eye perfect. It's impossible. I don't want to go down this path, but if, if you don't have a fully functioning eye, you don't have a fully functioning eye. You can't see. You're bumping into things. The whole race would die. The scientist in Moscow, in the Moscow school system, asked for some creation guys to come over there and put a curriculum in the Moscow school system because they knew that evolution wasn't a valid argument for creation. And you know what they, they cited? Sexual reproduction. You can't have a half sexual reproduction. It has to be complete. You can't evolve that or you don't have people. Get it? If the communist said that's bunk, why, is, why are people still believing it? Because the alternative is something they can't believe. Because now they have to change their life. Now they have to surrender to a God that has rules. And he has a law for their heart and boundaries for their life. Well, read ahead next week. Very exciting as we continue into the word. We're going to talk about offenses and people sinning because I know that never happens. <laughs> There's no sinners on planet Earth. Read ahead into chapter 17 and on Wednesday night as we continue in the life of King David. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your powerful word today. We thank you for the example of the rich man and Lazarus. Lord, you're warning people on planet Earth not to go to Hades, not to spend eternity in hell. Lord, thank you that you get, have given us a way. We thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through you. All roads do not lead to heaven, only one way. All roads lead to death, but only one way to Jesus. So thank you, Lord, for your powerful word today, for our time together to be refreshed and encouraged by the body of Christ. We thank you, Lord, and we long to see your face in Jesus' name. And all God's people say,